Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Hello, my name is Slava. I previously worked in Wargaming as a project manager. I was leading the R&D team there. Uh, later on, I joined CD Project Red uh, when I spent four plus years uh, for Cyberpunk 20, 2077 development. And uh, currently, I'm working at uh, Xola as director of products, making sure that uh, indie teams have the possibilities and the ways to get funding to make their games happen. This uh, first time I bumped into Xola, uh, BizDev and Xola guys, like five years ago. Uh, while I'm working at the big companies, uh, all the time I do have a side project I'm working on. And one of them, uh, one of them won, uh, won uh, Unreal Development Contest and won a prize from, uh, from Xola. Uh, we applied for Xolo Funding Club, and through this channel, we have found uh, we have found the investor who who was ready to put uh, to put funds in, in, into our team. We didn't sign with him though, uh, because we had disagreement inside of the team if we should to do, if we should do it at this stage or not. However, I've seen that uh, Xolo actually brought the. Uh, brought something useful for me as an indie developer and few years later when I was already finished I have already finished the uh, Cyberpunk 2077 when uh, we have finished Cyberpunk uh, I was thinking what to do next I, I could stay in the company obviously and continue working on uh, Cyberpunk and Witcher franchises while I met uh, Eugene uh, from Exola and he said that actually I can do what I am doing, uh, meaning mentoring indie teams. Uh, I can turn what I am doing into something useful on a bigger scale with Exola. So yeah, currently uh, I like what I'm doing because I'm actually helping indie teams uh, to uh, raise uh, funds for their games and get the, get a good deal comparing to many others. So I guess it will, it will be paid out in the future by karma. We, we often ask this question, um, and I think for somebody of your caliber it would be a good one. So why do you do what you do? Like why do you decide to go into games and not do you know, IT or do some other stuff? Well, honestly, before I joined game dev, I was actually working in IT. Uh, but to me, it was mostly the, the, the need to start over career somewhere. I was pretty young, so I uh, started as a QA engineer. I worked in outsourcing company for four years. And then when I, when I became profession, professional enough, I was invited to join Wargaming. Uh, and that's how I tagged along with gaming industry. It was all the time uh, the job dream 
to me and I was looking for the ways how to enter the industries, but I was failing over and over again. But yeah, after the work in IT company, I got recognized and had my chance. What were like the major differences, you know, when you were working in IT and then you had this opportunity to work in a huge company like Wargaming? What kind of were the first thing that kind of strike you? That's an interesting question. Uh, at the beginning, I've seen no differences. But uh, months after months, uh, the the spirit of the way how the games uh, how how the games are being developed became more obvious to me. Because um, for years, an outsourcing company means that you're always uh, focusing on the delivery. You're always focusing on what uh, what customer told you to do, while uh, working on the game. Um, you have to do your discoveries on your own. You have to uh, be sure that uh, the team and uh, everyone who is involved in the game development, they are courageous enough, they are smart enough to keep up the conversation, to adapt to the change if they need to be implemented. And the, developing, the game development appears to be more conscious and focused on what the end customer and the player needs comparing to outsource development when we always had to believe that uh, there is a customer who knows better than you but yeah, in games it's quite different no one knows what player needs so we have a lot of those conversations with game developers and um, I even did a couple of lectures on what do game developers what advice do they give to people who are just starting out and one of the things that they said is the following. When you work in games, uh, games are no longer the same for you. You know what I mean? Like you, like if you're a director or like a cameraman, you don't watch the movie, you watch how the movie is made. So how did you go through this transition? Like Because you're not originally a game developer, you worked in IT, and how did you kind of start looking how did your perspective change and when you're assessing games or playing games or anything? oh the, the the major change was that at the beginning you think that oh it's it's easy to implement it's just a simple feature let's just do it but uh every tiny uh change in the mechanics uh in a user interface wherever leads to another changes in most cases and you need to probe it over and over and over again and uh, sometimes the results might be unreliable but you still need to believe them and, and build other hypotheses so uh, over time uh, you're developing the experience you know how games are actually done you get information how much uh, any gameplay change costs uh, how much costs the change of the character of the location whatsoever and at the beginning, you look at the games and think, well, that could be done better and I know how. After years, you're looking at the games and you're looking at the movies, whatsoever, and you're admitting very cool, tiny things you have never seen before. So from uh, it transitioned over time from uh, being super confident on 
I know how to do this stuff into, wow, they did this stuff in pretty peculiar, peculiar, peculiar way and, and I'm fascinated by it. Don't you find it's, uh, how, like my experience when you look at the game development process, it seems like, and I think movies are similar in that way, that, that it's, uh, it's a miracle that these things actually release that they are finished and they are launched because there are so many elements and like you said if you you know you want to implement one feature and then the whole system's kind of collapsed or something and uh, i think there was a talk at gdc where uh this lady i think she was from obsidian or somewhere and she talked about like those people who are they really like games you know and they think they, they can do everything on their own. And then they start creating without telling anyone else that they're doing something. They create levels or characters or something. And then it just kind of creates more extra work for everyone else. How do you guys battle this? You know, you worked in Wargaming. You worked in CD Projekt. When does this passion kind of bothers you, you know, doesn't allow you to go and finish the, the game. Hmm. I would start with an abstract, I would say. Typically, when you're developing the game, you have two phases, pre-production and production. And the level of uh, the art, the level of creativity, uh, which is allowed to be put into the game, is reducing over time. The closer you are to the release, the less and less uh, additional stuff you can add into the game. So typically when you're developing the game, you're gating these processes by milestones. Uh, but even though, it's not always working. The trick is that uh, the games is not games, movies, uh, this, this mediums, they're created not by just one person, they're created by many persons. Uh, and the beautiful part uh, of it is in emergent power of uh, all of these people. What's, what can be done by one person, uh, if you multiply it by 20 person, you may have unexpected result. If you have the chemistry inside of the team, in this case, these 20 developers may uh, deliver 100 times more than uh, than you expected. If there is no chemistry, it would be, it would be lower. So the key trick of the uh, of working in uh, game development is that you have to trust your fellow developers. You have to find the chemistry with them. And in this case, results of both of you, all of you, are amplifying. So you acted as a leader in some of the development teams, and um, the question that I think is interesting not only like for the game development committee but overall for people in general because games is now such a huge part of our lives right the, my question is like who develops games like who are these people that decide to devote their lives to you know building mechanics and creating technology and so on and the question is I'm I'm trying to understand because for technical guys, right, for coders especially, I mean, there are so many opportunities. You'd go Silicon Valley, do your own app or something, right? You can go 
to Japan and work in a bank, just create some boring software for transactions or whatever. Um, and still, I see people fighting for an opportunity to, to work for this company and the, or, or that company. So what's like the psychology behind this? Like who are these people They that they decide to work at Wargaming or CD Projekt Red or any other of these big organizations that build games? Okay. Uh, I guess, I guess it's mostly about the passion. I know developers who awesome in rendering they're awesome in building animation systems uh, this requires a lot of super deep knowledge on algorithms algorithms which are specific for this area and these guys keep evolving in uh, in this area specifically because they want to see how the uh, how the how they can push it even better i have a friend who who is uh, uh, regularly uh, writing white papers after each game uh, he has delivered and uh, telling, the, uh, telling the stories on how rendering can be improved uh, on a C-graph. He's, he's, uh, he just wants to share it with everyone else because this is what he could achieve and he can show it to everyone so the technology he used can be populated and improve any other games. Uh, when we talk about the other type of the developers, animators, uh, 3D modelers, uh, artists, all of them are developers, but all of them are still driven by the same thing, passion. They have something that they want to show and they have the joy when they see that uh, players enjoy what, what they have delivered. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At The Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now so when you have these people who are incredibly passionate and uh, they're driven by this kind of desire to make better games I'm sure you kind of ended up in situations where there's just so much energy in the room. There's like so much stuff going on. Then it's important. It's impossible to kind of keep everyone happy, right? So because has there any kind of product that you're developing? You have to make decisions, and sometimes these decisions they don't, you know, not everyone is a fan of, right? And uh, you and I, we both come from. I guess like a former Soviet Union kind of scene where we've seen tons of those teams where they're saying we're going to build this game and it's going to be a game, it's going to have open world and it's going to have realistic damage and you can be able to, you know, attack caravans and do all this stuff or crazy stuff. So adding so many ideas that it, you know it's never going to work and like me in my career personally I've seen too many of those games. but. Um, in your role, you work as a producer, 
and this seems to me kind of like this role that is often avoided like not a lot of people understand what this producer do and f for me when I think about producer it's this guy from a movie called uh, the tail wags the dog you know like the like the, the glasses guy and then he he walks around and he just uh, he has the vision he gathers some people and then he makes people work so my question is in games in your role in your experience from having all the background who do you think producer is like what is this person's role on a project that's the answer is actually depends on uh, which company which country we are talking about because the definition of production job differs between uh, between uh, different companies uh, while at the same time there is one thing which is uh, always standing out producer is the person who is making things happen and uh, in this quote that can mean anything so let's say at this point uh, after i uh, left uh, cd project red uh, i picked up a couple of uh, indie projects and i'm leading them as a uh, independent producer and in this case my role in most cases is to take what creative talents uh, are working on and frame it into the business frame it into deliverables which they can actually uh, finish by site by some time and it actually takes uh, a lot of time not so many people understand that you cannot just like go to the team and say do this it doesn't work this way you're working with creative talents they they are creating these games you are helping them so your quest in most cases is to get what uh, to understand what the game they're developing and how you can help them to deliver it in its best shape then you have to explain it and then you have to agree with them uh, how exactly it's going to be done so let's say me as an independent producer uh, wearing at least three hats that sometimes i have to behave as a story doctor because i see that uh, the story we want to uh, tell inside of the game is too huge or too complex or vice versa too simple so uh, players won't like it uh, on another day i'm wearing the hat of uh, uh, director uh, preparing uh, profit and losses file calculating budget for the game sometimes i'm wearing the hat of the business developer and i'm going to talk with uh, with investors publishers whoever everything to make team focus on what they can actually do the best creating the game so yeah producer is the person who helps the team uh, to achieve uh, to achieve the point of the release did you um because you mentioned you worked at like large companies but you also help indie indie companies as well when you have these conversations with guys who are creating their own smaller experience um how do they like how do they treat you do they sometimes think you're like a just like a money grabbing machine that's only here for you know um make some buck on their shoulders and to monetize their game do you see any kind of because uh, at least a while ago that was kind of the attitude from the indie teams you know what i mean when they because producer for them was similar to like a, a marketing ceo or like a some kind of publisher 
because developers they live in their own world their own game and they feel like if they're building this game it's going to be successful you know either way uh, people are gonna see all the features all the implementations and they never even come up with the idea that a lot of uh, a lot of people like me for example they make their decision whether to purchase this or not based on the like whatever the icon looks like on switch you know store right so how do you kind of persuade them or how do you build that need to in the team so they understand that the producer is the one who's going to help them you know finish it yeah it starts with the basis because uh, producer is not just like one guy's job producer is a role anyone can take it inside of the team and typically this is how it starts uh despite the fact that uh some indie teams do not understand it uh they already have producer it's just someone inside of the, their team who is trying to uh, manage what they're doing who is trying to uh, build up our long-term plans so they do have them and at, uh, when we uh, arriving at the point where uh developers want to actually uh focus on the game when they understand that actually working on the finance part of of, of the studio is complex having conversations with uh publishers is time consuming they are getting tired and that's the moment when uh experienced producer help comes in handy it starts with typically it starts with uh just mentorship so they're coming uh, to you asking questions uh you're helping them with some advices uh, or vice versa you are challenging with the questions they would never ask the, uh, themselves and uh, step by step it builds the trust because you show the uh, show the developers that you're actually on on their side you're not putting money out of them you're trying to help them uh, to make the to make the game happen and i don't know the other recipe recipe <laughs> actually because without trust uh, from the team uh, you're always going to be the uh, just a manager who is chasing people uh, <laughs> who is chasing people for their tasks which is not production job actually <laughs> so w when you worked in these smaller studios and the larger ones as a producer and a part of the team, you obviously saw a lot of uh, challenges and problems that people face. And I think um, my question is, do you feel like uh, the process is different the bigger the company becomes? Do you see more problems kind of arriving or less? And um, the question is, uh, what about the, the way that you you know manage all that like is it like a flex structure do you need some kind of hierarchy do you do use waterfall or do you like the safe techniques what works best for you know what size well i'll start with the fact that in practice uh, we can uh, imagine the uh, game studio as just a system my background is that I'm an engineer and I'm specialized in system analysis. And when I'm looking at any studio, I see that it has the composition of different developers. So the bigger amount, the bigger the number of the developers, the more complex system is. So 
that that's the first thing. Uh, second thing, uh, when uh, you're working with indie developers, you're always producing stakeholders because stakeholders are actually in the team. While you're working with, in a big company, your developers, their creative talents inside uh, inside of the uh, inside of the company. While stakeholders are typically game director or studio director or head of the studio, some other guy. And yeah, sometimes there are conflicts between uh, stakeholders and the team, but that's the thing. You are here to mediate the process. And if someone in the process uh, gets offended or uh, someone in the process disagrees, it's your job to settle down the conflict, to explain uh, why the decision was made this way or mitigate uh, some uh, some other solution with the with the director that depends on the situation in practice i've never seen uh, i've never seen agile practices perfectly working in the uh, in the uh, gaming studio at my memory uh, only bungie achieved uh, working process uh, in a safe manner um, while others trying to implement uh, some practices uh, Sometimes with the success, but yeah, once again, uh, typically every studio is building their own process because the pipelines of the development are different, engines are different, and that requires different uh, team composition and different skill sets. I think uh, I have like uh, two comments on that one that one of my friends who actually worked with me and we were both kind of studying for SAFE and we did this like SAFE Agile training for different roles, but still like this, it's mostly the same training. And uh, I was like, wow, this is so nice. This worked perfect. Like, let's just use it. And it's like 40% growth, like faster delivery, all that stuff. And he said, well, it's kind of great on paper, but uh, it never actually works how you learn it right and there are very few companies that are actually um, implementing it and achieve results and you mentioned uh, Bungie and I had a friend who worked there and he said yeah they said like developers they use frameworks that you know bring them results they don't they, they can use waterfall here <laughs> and do safe agile there and Bungie is now different like I think in that direction it's like any big companies right uh, when you have these teams, I guess, and you can comment on that, like on a smaller scale, where well, you have stakeholders kind of within the team, the team is just a, a number of stakeholders. What you need to spend less time on is probably clarification and communication, meaning that everybody understands what they're building, everybody understands what everyone is doing, and you know, if I build something that's not entirely like in in something then everybody's you know they know who to talk to and they understand what's going on but what happens if it's like world of tanks good god this this game is like humongous right or any other big title let's not take examples from your career but any let's say like elden ring it, look at that game it's like first of all one of the biggest rpgs ever right so much content there, so many elements. So if I make a decision that, you know, the, the, the chest is gonna teleport you God knows where in another part of the map, I don't, like, physically, I cannot understand 
how that studio manages to do it and any big studio how do they not lose their shit and just you know go around kill, killing each other because it's just too much to kind of compress into one so can you talk a little bit about what are like the efficient ways where different kind of decisions can communicate within the team and also outside the team when game director comes or art director comes and you show him some technique and he says it's never gonna work because my prop is let's say gray and it's just gonna be lost nobody's gonna see it you know what i mean yeah the thing is that uh there should be always the point of synchronization in different companies it wor works differently some 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 prefers to have uh posted uh regular playthroughs on the drive and that's it someone demands uh developers to play the game regularly once a week let's say to spend a couple of hours but you have to play the game to understand and see uh, what's happening in there some companies are posting huge uh, posts on internal confluence uh, assuming that everyone will read it but the thing is that the only working way to uh, assure that uh, people will know what's inside of the game is to make them Passion on their uh, passion on their change and willing to show it to the others. When one developer is uh, coming in the picture and saying, "Look, I have created uh, I have created the uh, let's say new mechanics of shooting. So it's based on let's say freezing time, and you can pinpoint few uh, few uh, few places you want to shot at, and boom, it it works like you are doing it automatically." It looks nice. I want to show it to everyone. And yeah, it should come from the developer. So you mentioned uh, passion a couple of times uh, when, when we were discussing. And uh, we think that this is one of the biggest things that kind of unites game developers in general. Because that's one of the things why they're doing this in, 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 the, in the first place. And when I think about passion, I always think about... I think it was a former PlayStation head who, uh, on camera, he was beating, and he successfully did so, um, a very challenging boss in Bloodborne. And Bloodborne is a very challenging game, and he was like dodging, kind of his uh, hardware skipping a beat, and, it, and you could see that this guy really likes games, and he's like a CEO of PlayStation. He's like a very high-level, C-level guy, right? So. You might think he's not really interested in game, but he is, and you can see this from the recording. But passion is just kind of like one little part of this. Um, Basis. Yeah, it's like part of the base of this formula, like for a successful hire in in the game. And when you're looking for talent, when you uh, speak with your colleagues and so on, how do you choose? When you're getting resumes, I'm sure when you're working on Cyberpunk, you, you got like tons of, you know, knocks on the door and people are like, hey, I really like your game, want to work with you. How do you make this decision that this person fits and this person doesn't? And if you're thinking about it to make it easier, like uh, let's think about these hard skills and soft skills that you need to have in order to, you know, continue working in, in big games. 
that actually depends on the uh, culture which is uh, in the company. So let's say uh, when we're working, uh, uh, when I was working at CD Projekt Red, uh, I was hiring gameplay designers, and comparing to many other uh, companies, uh, still five years back, we were we were focusing on the developers who are not only uh, or game designers who are not only the designers and they can build uh, cool presentation and write nice papers but they can also implement things so uh, for us was always important that the person who is about to join us has the hard skills we want and they can prove it with uh, with the simple task to implement the prototype while later on uh, each person who supposed to, who, who is supposed to work with uh, this uh, developer should speak to him and uh, in my case I wasn't challenging designers with uh, questions on how they execute their job we were talking about the games my top three questions uh, typically what the last game you played is there anything uh, you would change in this game and if so why and third is how it will impact a player's experience so these three simple questions allows you to spend uh, an hour <laughs> uh, with the developer if he's patient enough, if he's actually uh, putting a heart in the answer, not just like uh, I don't know, pulling it out of the nowhere. Yeah. When when you talk about game designers, especially, um, what are those hard skills? Because um, I, I know like if you're like a mobile free-to-play you probably biggest hard skill is your spreadsheet and then you calculate like lifetime value of whatever and how to loop them in, in the game but when you talk about a game like cyberpunk that's not like a, there are so many systems there it's a very different monetization model um, I'm struggling to understand what kind of hard skills do you need to have in order to actually start building something like this it, it's also super important for our listeners who are you know they're still in school they're they're maybe they're in a junior position somewhere they don't really know so if you could explain a little bit like what do you need to uh, learn and maybe start practicing that will help you build those hard skills and maybe you know get in the career ladder right typically uh, typically for me the best person is is the one who has the passion first who is able to build the language with the others and adapt the language uh, from the studio that's where hard skills comes in and uh, being able to receive the feedback that's what when it comes to the soft skills those three key points uh, they're necessary uh, for any any developer why i mentioned language is mostly because while uh, requirements would be different between uh, different professions in different studios uh, the key thing is that uh, in different companies you're using different language to describe uh, things you're working on let's say uh, two months uh, to my first months in CD Projekt Red I was uh, super confident uh, uh, while I was talking about what we should implement assuming that the word prefab is exactly this has exactly the same meaning as in unity or unreal but in practice it did not 
and that was my mistake that uh, I when I came in I started to I started immediately operate with the language I I, I knew I didn't uh, I didn't align myself with the others so the hard skills here is that you have to have at least basic knowledge on how the games are developed if it are developed if you have the possibility and courage to open the engine you should because the hands-on practice of creating even a smallest even the uh, simplest game is priceless because you're starting to understand uh, what kind of language might exist and then you're coming to another company you're getting hired and you have to be ready that most of the things you named one way can be named the other way and you have to learn how and you have to adapt uh, to, to to the language they're using and this is the most necessary hard skill I would say and this is something that uh, people typically are taking from the university so while we're on a subject on university and kind of achieving those skills there is a trend in games and I think game is like one of those industries where uh, you can never sit still meaning that uh, I mean today it's one technique tomorrow is another technique we run a website for artists and this stuff changes almost every year like every year there's some new feature like a good example would be you know ZBrush like you used to use ZBrush all the time to make materials like even during like crisis times right now you use uh, substance designer or substance painter and maybe in five years you're gonna start using mega scans or something else where everything's gonna be scanned Dali. Or, or Dali yeah <laughs> or AI stuff so this AI stuff also comes into mind so how do you advise to young people and maybe not only young people but for everyone how do you adapt in this environment where everything's changing so quickly and how do you make sure that you're still employable that's what I'm that's the biggest thing because if you look at Dali we joked yesterday that you know interior decorators are no longer necessary and any any billionaire can you know click something in Dali and create his own underwater aquarium <laughs> bedroom or something right so how do you see this progressing in the future with all the tools with all the AI uh, are there is there gonna be a need for game developers in the future at all there should be a constant learning all of the tools substance painter zbrush uh, dali any other uh, ai uh, ai tools these are just tools to make uh, your work more efficient more faster uh, more effective uh, from the results standpoint so uh, it's just necessary to uh, to keep watching over the trends and learning new stuff because like my case uh, i'm a producer but i'm struggling to find a uh, concept artist but here is dali that means that for me as a producer i can speed up or work on my concepts because uh, instead of uh, spending a month with concept artists uh, to get super detailed uh, concept which will show which will which is going to sell uh, my uh, concept uh, I can work uh, with uh, uh, with Dali, generate pictures which will which which is going to sell the atmosphere, uh, sell the mood, 
uh, it's not necessary we will put it in the game, but see, this is something that uh, helps me to speed up the decision process. Same, uh, same comes for the concept artist. They can uh, take Dali, they can generate something and overpaint it into something that actually fits their needs. All of the tools uh, which uh, from the first glance looks scary, so okay, I, I will know I will no job anymore because there is a new tool. Bullshit. In practice, that means that you can do your work faster. And that's it. And you can achieve the better results. So constant learning, uh, looking around you, getting practice, uh, getting knowledge on the new practices, that, that's the must. So what advice would you give? We kind of talked a lot about uh, hard skills, soft skills, constant learning, passion, kind of the themes that we had in our conversation. Um, if you're speaking with new recruits, if you're speaking with people who are just getting into this industry, what advice would you give them? Like if you if you were to summarize everything we talked about today. Get feedback as early as possible. Whatever you're doing, get feedback as early as possible. You just wrote a few lines uh, about the new concept, show it to someone. If it doesn't click, uh, if it does, if you do not receive any uh, feedback, maybe you should rework it somehow. Or you have finished, uh, you're about to uh, finish the vertical size of your game or the prototype, test it as early as possible. It might be semi-ready, it might have gray boxes, it might have missing effects, sounds whatsoever. The earlier you test it, the more insights and the more uh, feedback you'll get. Uh, and it comes not only to the game, it comes to uh, your knowledge, uh, the way you're writing emails, the way you're uh, building uh, your spreadsheets, if you're building the spreadsheets, anything. Feedback is a must, rely on it. Cool, thank you Slava, it was very insightful. Thanks, thank you. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv RFP. And share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.